Welcome to the Wellness Pie Shop, where each episode we delve into a different slice of wellness in hopes of nourishing ourselves. With the help of special guests and a little of our own irreverent insight, we'll dive into some of the ingredients that make up the whole of Wellness Pie. We're your hosts, Dina Searden. And I'm Rachel Pias. Thanks for joining us. Now grab a cup of tea, sit back and relax, and enjoy a piece of Wellness Pie. Rachel, today on our show, we have a very special guest, documentary filmmaker, Francis Causey. And Francis, we are so thrilled for you to be here with us today. And I know that you've done a number of different films. And one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on as a guest is I'm just so curious how you came to decide to do these documentaries. And I know that we're going to get into that. But can you just give our listeners a little a little background on who you are and um, the kind of films that you've been making? Sure. Um, well, I'm excited to be uh, on your podcast. Thank you so much uh, for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Um, gosh, uh, great, great first opening uh, question. I, you know, I, I'm not sure if you've seen my film, The Long Shadow or not, but growing up in the South, I, I kind of knew that, well, I was always really super sensitive and always really curious. And those two things are, are, are good qualities, I think, to be a journalist. Nobody in my family had ever been, uh, done anything like that. And I, my experience of, of growing up in the South and witnessing what to me looked like apartheid for African-American mm. American apartheid, for African-Americans in our country, particularly in the South, the, the economic violence, really, I think you'd probably call it. Um, and so when I got to college, I think because of my experience growing up in the South, I, I wanted to become a journalist. Um, I specifically wanted to be a sports journalist. Uh, I love sports, still love sports. And um, but I but I got to college and uh, ended up um, majoring in radio, uh, television, and film uh, at UNC. And and then getting out of uh, college, I mean, I worked as an intern for many years in college, all four years of college with a sports department. And but I but I went to try to find a job being a sports reporter right out of school, and uh, couldn't get a job. And but there was a new little networks forming called CNN, Cable News Network in Atlanta. And um, so I applied for a job and got it. Uh, and that really set the, you know, I think the course of my life in action in terms of being a broadcast journalist. And then I got, I, I really felt the need for more expression and more, I wouldn't say advocacy, although maybe that is the right word, um, you know, unlike journalism where you're not supposed to advocate in, in documentary film, you can, you can get much, much closer. And in my films, I typically take on very intractable subjects in our society and try to put new information out there. Uh, and then just by the nature of documentary film, you know, there's a lot of, there is some inherent activism in that, which, which isn't suitable really for journalism or shouldn't be. So, um, so that, yeah, so that led me to, um, I left CNN in 2000 and, and my very first film uh, was about a black stock car racer in the 50s and 60s and that named Wendell Scott and the film got on the History Channel and 
Uh, I've been very, very fortunate. I've, I've, I've made um, 10 or 11 films, features, well, short films um, on, on a variety of subjects. And so I, I'm really, really lucky to, to make movies for a living. That is amazing. What a great story. And I love that, you know, this little upstart cable news network <laughs> became your outlet and your training grounds. That's yes. so fascinating. And, you know, I wonder how did that whole sports journalism thing work out for you being a woman and all? <laughs> well, well, you know, it, so it was funny. I met, I don't know, you probably you are maybe too young to remember Phyllis George, but, but oh, she I was remember. the first, yeah. First female sportscaster. And, and uh, I actually met her when I was at CNN and told her, uh, you know, years later that she was really my inspiration. You know, I, I really wanted to be a, a sportscaster. But once I got to CNN, I realized that, you know, sports was kind of down in the C block and and I was much more <laughs> at, at Chapel Hill. You know, I had I had studied history, political science. I mean, all of the social sciences, all of these things are things that are really important in being a journalist and a documentary filmmaker. And so by the time I got to CNN, I was like, oh, no, I'm I'm limiting myself. I need to I still love sports. I play sports. I love them. They're an outlet for me. But uh, I realized that that my heart was really uh, in news and documentary. So uh, we we went on to do some um, that was back when CNN was CNN. It's it's kind of a best. It's kind of a fragment of what it used to be when we were there. I mean, I was there in 1986. The network was just six years uh, in the making. And so it was such a very different atmosphere there. I mean, I can remember at 22, you know, proposing a story idea and they said, okay, go out and shoot it. And, uh, uh, you know, three days, four days later, it was on air. It was a, it was a little package or reporter package, um, about a gentleman in Tennessee who was, who was, you know, breeding burros and donkeys, um, to be exported to Afghanistan, uh, you know, to give to the Afghanis to help fight the Soviets. And I just thought that was fascinating that, you know, there in Tennessee, you know, it was this man who was, you know, was this company that was, or this guy that was doing that. So, so that was, I was much more interested in the, the human side of storytelling. And they've started to do a little more of that in sports, but uh, I really found my, my center of gravity uh, in news. And that leads me, that is a perfect segue into the question, what values do you think took you to that place? What is it that is, was important to you to touch on that humanity and to look at things from a new perspective like that? Right. Well, you know, I think it was just building upon, you know, I think it was just building upon the values, the same values that made me understand black white relations and white privilege and things that I did that I put in the long shadow. You know, those values were always with me. And I think I just, I actually just kind of put them to work through what I was doing for a living. Uh, and I, you know, that's fairness, that's integrity, that's ethics, mm. that's courage, mm -hmm. um, the willing willingness to go against the grain, you know, and, and not only in my work, in my film work, you know, uh, I, I think taking subjects that might be quasi controversial, but if you actually have done your research and, you know, and you understand the topic apart from what you've been told or what, you know, I just have always been kind of fearless about that. And it was, you know, like, for instance, with the long shadow, it was very hard uh, to, um, 
you know, to, to talk about stuff that had happened in my own family regarding our own privilege. And, it, you know, and is your story making you sick? You know, we mm-hmm. deal with some very heavy subjects there, you know, mm-hmm. um, people that had um, dealt with um, incest and rape and, you know, as, growing up these adverse childhood experiences. So, so yeah, I don't always make the most commercial films, but I make the films that are, that are in my heart uh, to make. And, um, so I think it's, you know, being curious and, and, um, following your heart. So growing up, I'm, what I'm hearing is you grew up in the South. We know that in the sixties, seventies, early eighties, we liked to, I used to think when I went to college in the eighties that their racism was no more, right. We'd gone through civil rights and everything like that. And yet looking back historically, we know that that is absolutely not true. And we're still dealing with it today. So, but growing up, how did you recognize that there was something off? Well, you know, it was, um, it was a, it, of course I was a child, you know, right. a small, yeah. you know, a small child. And so it was a feeling, right. So I, I wasn't able to verbalize it. I don't think. And, you know, and when you're a child, you're under the influence of your parents and, you know, you, you depend on them for, for everything. And so I, but I never, they weren't racist by any stretch, but they were also kind of unaware of these dynamics. I, you know, I hear a lot, uh, oh, that's just the way it was. And mm-hmm. one of the things I said about to learn in my 30 or so odd books that I read for the, for the film is that really it wasn't just the way it was. It was actually engineered. Mm. These issues um, were, were engineered by, you know, Americans, but also by our, our political leadership, you know, and so that's really the takeaway, the main takeaway from the film that this, this inequality that we're struggling, so still struggling with, and will struggle with for generations, is really was was done deliberately. And I think that's a, that's something very hard for Americans to, to understand. But so it was a feeling as a child. And then as I got older and I developed skills and, and, and uh, of self-determination, you know, it was, it was clear from an early age, I was, I was going to be on that path, I think, as I look back. Yeah. A lot of your values are like very, I don't want to say, I'm trying to say like adult values, but they're, they're very uh, like advanced values when you think of values, you know, fairness, courage, justice, fearlessness, curiosity. And I'm curious to know, I just said that curious to know, what age do you think that you started to come into these very, like intellectual values? Right. I think candidly, I was, I was the child of a, you know, kind of a broken home. You know, I was a latchkey kid. Mm. Um, And I was, I became out of necessity, I think very, you know, very responsible early on, maybe, maybe too responsible, um, Rachel, maybe too responsible. Uh, And, you know, one of my biggest challenges is not, not working too hard. You know, I kind of work 24 seven and I kind of live this, you know, value of there's no, there's so much to, to be done. So little time, but I can remember as a little kid, being uh, the, uh, we lived in an apartment and my mom worked and uh, my dad lived, I think in another state and, you know, the grass was getting too, too long in the backyard, you know, and I think I probably was about eight. Uh, and I was like, we need to mow that, <laughs> we need to mow that grass, 
you know? So I, you know, it's funny. I don't know where that, where that comes from. I think I have struggled in my own life with having really high expectations for myself, you know? And I, I think that in part that comes from my family dynamics, but I always had high expectations for, for myself. Sometimes high, sometimes it wasn't high enough for some people in my family. Other times it, it, it wasn't, it was high enough. And, but I, not to say that I, I didn't make a tremendous and continue to make mistakes, but I, I, I do try and learn from them. But I, I said about in my twenties, I was working really, really hard at CNN already kind of getting burnout by my late twenties, you know, and I really had to stop. I went to a, you know, a self-help workshop, you know, and, um, and it was there that I kind of got interested in what eventually was part of, you know, is your story making you sick, right? How our minds work, not just so much our brains, but how our minds work and my perceptions were my perceptions, you know, there's a wonderful neuroscientist, neurobiologist, his name is Bruce Lipton, and he's in the movie story. And is your story making you sick? And he talks about 95%, 96% of what we think, say, and do pivots from our unconscious past, right? So we, mm-hmm. by and large, most people are living living in the past and they don't know it, right? So you can't, if something's troubling you, you know, something in your life developmentally was troubling for you and, and it's causing you problems in the present. I always, whenever anything troubles me, I always think, because I learned at this workshop, you're never upset for the reasons you think, right? Your chances are you're being triggered by something that happened to you as a child right. and, um, and it has no bearing on the present. So it's about the mind. Ultimately, it's about mindfulness, right? And stopping. But boy, I, I struggle because my mind goes 99 miles an hour every second of the day. <laughs> so uh, that's my biggest challenge, slowing down. Well, I think that's such a, you, you, even from the beginning, you talked a little bit about like kind of the cultural influences that happen on values and something that you just hit on, right? This, this, I call it the hustle mentality where you just go and you go and you go and you go and go is such a issue that we have in our culture, a lot of other cultures as well, but in our culture, particularly we have this unrealistic bar that is set that if you're not working, you're not productive. And I think part of what is a challenge for a lot of people is, is what you're talking about is that how do you slow down? How do you find value in kind of just taking a, taking a break for a second? Um, And that's such a difficult thing to do, especially when you have like you, you have this big passion and you have, you want to make an impact and you want to share knowledge with people on subjects that are uncomfortable, which is such a hard thing to do. And it can be hard to, to, I call it rebel against society's kind of value of you got to keep going. You got to meet every unrealistic expectation that you can set for yourself. Otherwise you're not doing good enough. And so I think you really touched on something that our listeners may struggle with, which is that, that exact thing of mindfulness. Yeah. Well, so it's interesting. So, so it's a great, great um, thing to ponder, right? I made a movie called um, in 20, it came out in 2012 called Heist, Who Stole the American Dream. And it really talks about really the, why the gig economy 
right? Kind of, kind of sprung up. So I don't know if people, your generation are doing, you guys want to own the world and, <laughs> you know, and you should, you should take it away from people like me. Um, <laughs> right. Totally. I bequeath it to you. You don't even have to take it away. I, bequeath it to you. I don't know uh, if I want it yet. I don't know if I yeah. want it yet. Yeah. It's kind I of mean, a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I hope it, it's being sorted, but you know, so, so to answer your question about, you know, the hustle and stuff. So I think people are, I don't know the, I know a lot of people that still work for corporations that aren't really happy with it. They really want to work for themselves, you know? And so, but when you work for yourself, the challenge, which I just alluded to is, is not working 24 seven, right? So fortunately, the point where I've built a business where I have, you know, three people who work for me full time, and I can just focus on writing and directing and overseeing the production company. But I think, you know, this is kind of what our, you know, our country was founded on this kind of myth of the rugged individualist, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I think, I think, going again, back to expectations, you know, that we were talking about a minute ago, it's like, you know, there's always this, this, you want to achieve and you want to um, compete in our society. I mean, it's just, it's just woven into our DNA. And so what I talk about in heist, it's like the, the country's kind of economy got outsourced and things are starting to come back. And so there's, there's less, I think your generation is, is always going to want to go start a new tech company. That's going to, you know, save us from this climate emergency we're in and, and all these kind of things, but it's a, it, it does come back to that mindfulness and, and doing what's healthy, right. And being holistic in your approach to your life, you know, and hopefully, you know, your outside reflects your inside, you know, your internal world. And that, and that, you know, I, I, I think when my time is up on this earth, you know, I'm probably the thing I will next to my, my partner and my family. And uh, you know, that I will be happiest about is that, is that my outsides of some way through a great deal of struggle and hardship and joy and frustration and happiness, you know, I've been able to live my dream. You know, I guess that's what we're talking about, right? Um, what's your dream and, and how do you go about manifesting that? So I feel really lucky. It's also interesting as I'm sitting here listening that you said individual individualism and this rugged individualism has been at the heart of America or the United States since the get-go. And yet one of the things that has been a common theme throughout our podcast has been a desire for connection. Mm -hmm. And Francis, what I see is that your connection takes the shape of film. You connect Mm -hmm. people by bringing these outside entities into our homes or into theaters so that we can connect more fully with things that we don't get a chance to see, things that we don't necessarily understand. And so I'm just struck by the way in which you're able to do that. And a little bit jealous because that sounds super cool. (laughs) Not going to lie. That's just so fun. But I, I just have a lot of respect for that because I think that in a way, Rachel and I are trying to do that. We're reaching out. We're trying to build those connections with people. And you're able to do that through film, which is a medium that you can see, feel, well, you can't really feel, but you can see and hear. And I just, I just love that. I just had to make that comment. We're film. I appreciate that. Yeah. Sorry. 
were films something, it just popped in my head, were films something in your childhood that spoke to you? I, I just, you went from like sportscaster, which like, of course, you know, you love sports, you went into that, you follow what you love. And then this piece of film and production came in. Is that something that was in your childhood also? Right. Yeah. No. So um, to kind of combine those questions, you know, in terms of film was not in my life. Mm. Um, you know, my, my, my people were business people, um, you know, which I found I, it was, it was always hard for me to imagine living my life solely just to make money, you know, and that's fine. I, I believe me, everybody has to do their bliss. You know, everybody has to do what, what, what's in their soul to do. But I think that the, the film was a manifestation of my changing values and my mm. maturation process, right? And, and any cornerstone, I think, of health is community, right? In which Dina was referring to and connection, right? And so what happened in my filmmaking, so I was, I felt like we were doing really important stuff with CNN, right? I mean, we were, we were, I think, I think we as a country have really been made a lot worse by having, not having, whether it be the broadcast networks or the cable networks, you know, sending dispatching reporters out all over the country to cover stories on a day in and day out basis, rather than just hear pundits, you know, who, who live inside Washington, DC and, you know, and they're, and they're very smart people and they bring, they bring a wonderful element to it, but I wanted to tell stories. And so stories that mattered, you know, and I wanted to make films with a purpose Right. And and I felt, you know, towards the last of my days with CNN, I felt like, you know, it was just we had gotten away from our kind of mission statement. And so but getting back to Dina's comment about connection. Right. So what I, I mean, candidly, what I tried to do in heist was connect, you know, my community, which is there's the worldwide community. There's the American community. There's my community where I live. And I always try to make films that impact my, my local, local community when I can. But so, you know, in Heist, I was connecting workers with people who create jobs and with the people who make the political leadership who make policy around jobs, right? And, and showing how working class people have really, really been disenfranchised over the last 50 years, right? And, and the long shadow, I was trying to connect, I was trying to reach out to people who maybe harbored unconsciously or consciously racist um, ideas, thoughts, actions, you know, I wanted to connect them with a more reasoned um, position, you know, a, a fact-based connect the dots, TikTok of, of how we got this to this point in our history, because one thing that drives me crazy and is misinformation, right? And so in, in shadow, you know, most of the country really doesn't understand what was done to Africans and then later African-Americans, right? And I, I, I find that, again, getting back to injustice, I found that incredibly unjust, um, that the country didn't have a clue as to why things were happening in the country, why they were unfolding as, as they were. You know, in story, I wanted to connect people to themselves. I wanted them to understand themselves better and how their minds work and, and that they might provide inspiration to, to people watching who, who, you know, light bulb might go off in their heads and say, oh, I didn't think about that. I mean, I think, I think 
you know, I make films for wide release and they, they get heavily scrutinized and reviewed and things like that. So I work really, really hard to not only make them cinematic, but they absolutely have to be correct. Right. And I, and when I, I rarely, if ever get anybody challenging, you know, facts in my films. Um, so that's gratifying. But, but the thing that's really gratifying is I have people every day who come to me and say, you know, that really changed my perspective or that really changed my life watching that movie. I had no idea uh, that it was that way. And so that, that's, that's gratifying. That, that is gratifying on a, on a human level for me, because in the end, right, I'm just trying to be useful. Uh, I really just want to be useful. And I think this is the way I was meant to be useful is, is telling, uh, making these movies and telling these stories. And I imagine that you're learning a lot as well. And your personal ability to connect with all these different kinds of people must be really gratifying too, for you personally. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, it is, I mean, and it is my community. I mean, I have my local community here and where I live and in Arizona, but also, you know, I have a, a national and a worldwide community and I love people, you know, I'm fortunate. I, I'm always, whether it's interviewing the president of Uruguay or, uh, you know, a woman in a, a baker, you know, a woman who works in a bakery in Oakland, uh, you know, I'm fascinated by people and their stories and their lives and why they what was in their life that, you know, brought us together. And so I think everyone, every person is unique and every person has this unbelievable potential and should be respected and valued. I love that. Another thing that really spoke to me when you were talking about connection in, in your films, something that comes to me as a value that you have is, is this value of truth. And, and how that impacts kind of the other values I'm looking, I wrote down all your values. If you see me writing this, what I'm doing and I, you know, you talk about fairness, you talk about justice, you know, all of that comes under this category of you just want to seek truth and whatever comes with that you're willing to accept because that's the most important thing is whatever is the truth is the important thing. And that's, that's what we should be educating on. And I just think that I don't think that we've heard, I think we've heard that mentioned on the podcast, but not in the way that you're talking about it and not in the way that truth is a value. And I just really wish, I just, I guess I'm reflecting on that because I don't know if I really think about truth as this, I, I guess it's important because you look at like loyalty and you look at honesty and things like that, but I don't know the way that you talk about it. And the way that you live your life in search of it is so inspiring to me. The other thing about truth is truth isn't the same for everyone. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to get caught in a maze of this is my truth. This is your truth. And what's the capital T truth. And it sounds like Francis, that you're looking for that capital T, but it's, we're always still through our own lenses. And so that's a big challenge. I would imagine. Exactly. And boy, you, you know, my, my pulse quickened when, when Rachel um, said truth, you know, because it, it, I mean, it really gets, I think, so let's see, I thought so much about this. So I guess in today's media environment, right, with, with social media and stuff, everybody's always kind of putting out their, their version of the truth, right? 
So I think that there, there's a difference between facts and truth, mm. right? And so truth, right, is a perceptive thing, like, and it, and it's, and it is subjective in the sense that this is what's true in my life. I grew up this way. These are my values, beliefs, perceptions, and th- and this is what I choose to, you know, hold dear. And it's it's really uh, subjective. It's not objective. The only the only exception I would make to that when I talk about universal truths, right? I mean, there's certain things, and I'll talk about facts in a moment. But universal truths do not kill. You know, if you don't pay your you know, uh, don't steal, don't, you know, if you don't pay your, if you don't pay your credit cards, your, your, you know, months in your credit card's going to go down, you know, your credit card rating's going to go down, probably, you know, don't, don't lie. I mean, I think if there's anything about myself that, and again, my, my truth is my own truth, but if there's anything I've learned, it's like, well, if you do the, if you go against the grain with these universal truths, bad stuff's going to happen. Right. But a lot of people aren't awake enough to know that these bad things are happening. I'll, I'll, I'll share a very, very personal um, anecdote and, and a very painful one. Um, my half brother passed away from a heroin dose. He's 38, passed away from a heroin overdose in January of 2020. And my family had done everything, everything to try and help him. They had put him through many, many, many treatments. And I believe, because based on my own experience about, I believe that there were certain things that no one could teach me that I had to teach myself, that I just had to learn, uh, even though they might not have been taught me or they were taught me, something was taught me and it wasn't, you know, it just didn't ring true for me, ring true for me. I you know, I made the decision because I believed that my family's actions were really keeping Philip, you know, from his own truth. I mean, I'll just be really candid with you. And because whether I was, you know, on my own for whatever reason, I I chose not to mitigate the consequences in my life. I mean, I, I for bad decision making. And I really felt like Philip needed I, I think he was, I mean, it's deeply, deeply layered in psychology and all that, you know, when it comes to addiction of that scale, but that I believe that he was not, uh, he had not gotten at the, the full truth of why he was using in the way that he was. And, um, and sure enough, I mean, six months, of his last treatment, you know, he had been in treatment for like a year. He'd been in 10 or 11 treatments. He, um, he overdosed. And I just, I, think it, I, and I'm not a parent, I'm a parent of four leggeds, right, but not two legged. So I don't know what it's like to be a parent and feel like your child is slipping away. And so I want to, I want to put that asterisk on it. At any rate, I mean, that, it could sound judgmental for me. I mean, I, I had done an awful lot on my own to try to help Philip to that point. Um, and I, and I thought I didn't know what else to do. And so I, you know, I, I did some tough love and said, I, you know, you got to figure this out. And um, surely I have regrets about that, wondering if that was the right thing to do. But that was my truth. Now, facts, facts, if well uh, researched, right, you come like when I do a, I, I 
you know, in my in my film, The Long Shadow, I talk about my uncle, Edmund Pendleton, who was a founding father and really codified slavery into American law, you know, in the 1770s. And his life had been, you know, kind of politicized by people who really liked his more conservative values, you know. Well, I wanted to know the the facts behind behind his life. And I wanted to make sure that what I said about him was accurate. So I got not one or two, but three or four sources that, that well-researched, that corroborated my the biographical information that I put about him in the movie, right? So facts are facts. And I think facts are immutable. And really the, the problem is with a lot of the self-publishing today, people, people are not trained journalists. They don't know how to research facts. And they, they assume something is a fact because a well-known person or a politician or someone says it, therefore I read it on the internet or saw it on, on TV, that it must be fact. And it, it, it more than often is not, unfortunately. Back when I was in journalism, it was. You know, I mean, it was, it was the golden, I mean, it was the gold standard for journalism, unfortunately. And there's still outlets that, that have that gold standard. But facts are the gold standard, but they, but you have to, they have to be researched. They, you know, you just, you just don't come up with them out of thin air. I don't know if that helps. It, it, <laughs> ab- it absolutely does. And I, one, I really appreciate you talking about Philip and that whole situation, because it got my brain turning on kind of some other things that you mentioned and kind of a word that came up is this idea of enabling can sometimes prevent people from that tough love of finding truth. And um, from my own experience, I know that that sometimes happens a lot when addiction is in the presence of the family. And something that you talked about that I know of my generation being a social media person is you have this, these truths, these people's truths that are being put on to social media. And what that is doing for a lot of people is enabling them to not find the facts. Because if you're being fed all of these truths that you think are truths, we are losing this drive to find what is actually factual. And I know I noticed that within myself, within other people, my generation and my age is we are kind of stuck in this world of perception of what other people's truths are and not as driven, and I'm saying this as myself too, not as driven to find out what are actually, what is actually happening behind that social media post. You know, we just look at that one thing and that's good enough to go off of. And so I really just kind of appreciate you kind of connecting that for me of this enabling concept of social media and how it prevents fact-finding. I want, I'm always like, okay, let's, let's keep the good and throw out the bad, right? Yeah. So I think everyone should have the right to publish, to self-publish, right? And, and this is the First Amendment, right? Which I'm, I'm, you know, I built my whole career on that. <laughs> and I'm a big believer in the First Amendment. You also, on the other receiving end of that social media p- post, need to be your own gatekeeper. You know, and I often think if I ever retire from filmmaking, I'm going to, I'm going to lead a civics and and civility course and, you know, with a, with a big dose of uh, how to, how to know good information from bad information. Be a critical thinker. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
be a critical thinker. And we're, so part of this enabling, right? And so, you know, they've done studies, right? If you saw the social dilemma, you yep. know, I mean, they, they, right. They've done every time you self-publish, you know, you get a little shot of endorphin or, you know, some endorphin or serotonin or whichever brain chemical it is. Right. So it's really addictive. Yeah. Right. And it's enabling the worst of us. And at times, and I think as a society and as an entity, it, it, I don't know if regulated is the right word or what, but I mean, if people can't be their own gatekeepers, right? If they, if they're not critical enough thinkers, then, you know, you almost have to do it for the good of society. You know, you almost have to do it for them. Yeah. Um, but yeah. that would take great erudition and, you know, thoughtfulness. And, and quite frankly, I think we're getting there yeah. to the point where we realize these things have gone unchecked for so long that that they're they're more on the balance more harmful than than good but you don't throw this is a terrible expression you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know uh it's like you keep it obviously because it you know it led to arab spring you know and and uh initially and i mean although there have been some really difficult things and 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 happening in the middle east i think it's unwinding some of that totalitarianism that was there and that's yeah. going to just like colonialism, you know, that's going to take a long time. You look at what's happening in South Africa, you know, with the unwinding of apartheid there. I mean, we're, we're in a very, very difficult, we're seeing that in our own country. Mm -hmm. um, we're unwinding and reconciling and having a national reckoning about 400 years of, you know, anti-black racism uh, in our country. So, um, these things, these things take time. What upsets me is when, when people don't, you know, they don't really understand the impact and they haven't really, and they don't time to, they don't take time to think about it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm just reminded as I'm listening to this conversation, I, I'm struck by the fact that people don't want to have to look right. Yeah. It's, you don't want to have to be a critical thinker and, I am not anti-religion. I am not anti-spirituality or faith. However, I do think there's an aspect of organized religion that provides people a space to not have to think for themselves. And in a sense, social media is becoming sort of a larger religion and allowing people to not have to think, to say, this is what is real. This is what is truth. And they're finding, you know, instead of a Protestant, now you are a Trumper. Instead of a Catholic, now you are a liberal, which is sort of funny because they're not. But, um, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying here is that these factions, these social media factions and pundits, pundits, as we say, are becoming the new religion. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Absolutely to me. Yeah. Because it's, it's a way that people don't have to think for themselves. And what we try to do on this podcast is get people to look inward and say, okay, what is my operating belief and what works for me? What is my truth? And how does that connect me to the outside world and with my community, my family and my friends? So I just went off on a big yeah, no, feel, but I you think, know. Yeah, I think, I think. You know, in fact, my partner and I was just talking about this today. It's like, you know, I think that, that there are a lot, there are a lot more people, I think in general humanity that are followers 
Yes. And not leaders. Right. And, and even, I mean, there are plenty of unscrupulous leaders, right? Like some of these, these talking about religion, you know, some of these, these evangelicals who steal, you know, again, not to, I'm not, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious, but, you know, take that are, that are fraud, you know, that they're, they're getting Mm -hmm. all this money for their church and they, you know, through tele telethons, you know, or being televised and, and then they, you know, they come to find out they're sleeping around or, you know, so, (laughs) so, uh, you know, in terms of, I mean, you're just going to have to accept the fact we, when I say you, us, all of us, I mean, they're just some people that are followers, you know, and you hope that, they, that, that there's benevolent leadership and that all for the right reasons. And I, that's one of the reasons I, you know, I full disclaimer, I'm terrible at social media. I have a full-time social media person <laughs> who, you know, who works for Francis Causey Films and she just does an amazing job. And I, I can't tell you how excited I was to turn that task over to her. <laughs> um, and, and she, you know, has the same values I do and she understands my vision. And so I, I know that she posts things that, that I would post it. I maintain my own Facebook account. But so social media can, can also root out that malevolent stuff, you know? I mean, we, we can't throw out, we can't throw out the, the good, good aspects of it in terms of good information, getting information in front of people who maybe aren't followers, I mean, maybe aren't leaders, but are followers. And, you know, you just push them, nudge them in the right direction. Uh, and not everybody's going to be a, you know, a self-possessed, I mean, let's face it. I mean, they're just not going to be, you know, this actual actualized self-possessed person. So you hope to do no harm, I guess, is, is, is the best way um, you could look at it. But yeah, I think the addiction, the fact that people get, they're expressing themselves in, on a mass way in ways that they never have or maybe never have been able to, I think it can become uh, a religion of sorts. I mean, it's, it's completely understandable how, it, how that's kind of come to be. I am hoping too that, and, and I think I've seen it is, is with this previous presidential campaign and, and the election, I do have noticed a slight switch in media outlets, such as TV, film, social media, starting to rock the boat of the following and starting to choose to post from a place of, I would say more factual versus perception. And I'm hoping that that is kind of the forward trajectory that we continue to go. Something that I'm feeling right now, and and that's come kind of come from a lot of what you said, Francis, is this this piece that I sometimes miss of compassion for, I'm very much not a, I'm not a good follower and that's not something I do well. And, but Literally. to have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not so great at the following, but I'm really something that you are, are helping me in this conversation is, is practicing more compassion for that those types of people, and I don't mean it like that, but for those um, those types of thinkers, having more of a compassion for that, because like you said, that is a majority of of our world, our followers, and not that there's anything wrong, and it's and it's safe and it's rewarding in a lot of capacities. But I think sometimes I'm like, oh, why are you such a follower? And and I'm sitting here being like, oh, I want to have more compassion for them. And I want what I'm leaving with this right now is I need to do my part in making sure that I am not feeding the followers 
with my truth and instead feeding my feeding, not my followers, but feeding the followers with facts. And I'm hoping that our listeners, I'm hoping that my generation is, you know, the generation of social media is going to start, start that trend a little bit more commonly than I think it has been before. And I love the analogy is like, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I think I'm, I'm hoping that that's kind of the, the way forward. It's the way that I've kind of seen shifting specifically in this last year and mostly in these last few months since the election there, I feel like there's been more positive positivity to come from social media and multimedia platforms. Right. I mean, you, you nailed it, right? Compassion. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that's the new, again, all this really comes back to where we first started, right? Knowing your mind, knowing, you know, taking time to really look at your thoughts, beliefs, actions, you know, and usually that comes from pain. I mean, for yeah. me, it came mm-hmm. from just, you know, sheer pain, yeah. you know, it's like, okay, I don't want to feel this way anymore, you know, or I want to understand why I'm feeling this way. Right. And again, you can't, you can't teach that. I mean, I think, I think, I mean, look at the, look at the opioid crisis, you know, it's like, that was just a, you know, it is something that just so reflects kind of at where we are at this really difficult time, spiritually, yeah. physically, mentally, emotionally in our country. I mean, not only with the economy, you know, the economy not working for working people or not working well enough. I mean, you can't live off of $12 an hour. And it's, I think, you, you either rise to the occasion or you don't and you muddle along and you continue to have difficulties, but at, but the least what we can do, right. As the three people on this call is we can talk about it and we could maybe give people ideas. Hey, I did this. I suffered through this. You know, that's why I shared about Philip, you know, um, which I've never publicly shared about that. And not even on, you know, I don't put stuff like that on my Facebook page, you know, out of respect for my family and things like that. But it's like, we, we have to be bold and boldly compassionate and speak the truth, you know, a subjective uh, or an objective truth. And, and we have to reach out to our community members. I mean, I think all the, you know, our friends, our family, I mean, I think all the values that are reflected in your podcast, which is just awesome, by the way. I mean, I, I assume you, you knew that there was a need, that there was a dearth of programming about the exact same things we've talked about in this, in this country. I mean, the exact thing, same things that we talked about on this podcast or what's needed for the country. So we've got, we've never before been so connected, but yet we can feel so disconnected. And so I think having the courage to share and just say, Hey, I don't, I, I'm, I'm living each moment each day. And I don't know what will happen from this moment to the next, but I'm going to live my best day today. And then the other days you just chuck them up to, just, you know, I, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I think, oh, this is just, this is not going to be a good get day. And I try to, you know, I try to turn that around, but sometimes it's just life, which gets to the point, Rachel uh, and Dina, that life, it really comes back to knowing yourself and, you know, just trying to be a better person, trying to be, you know, useful. But a lot of people, that's just not on their radar. And, and we have to, you know, I, I believe there's probably about 20 to 25, 30% of the country. I say this all the time on, on my shadow Zooms. You know, there's just a lot of people that you're not going to ever convince that, you know, white is superior to black. I mean, there are just some, some places where it's hardwired mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. In, racism is a is hardwired into people, and I think you know addiction is hardwired, right? And so if people could just it, it, you know it's sweeping the country for good reason. I mean, if people could just learn to meditate and sit with their thoughts and their feelings and understand maybe they don't have anything to do with the present. And uh, if they don't have anything to do with the present, if you're not upset for the reasons you think, then chances are, you know, it's in your past. But the the great thing is the past is the past. I mean, you can heal from it, right? Yep. And that's that's why I have job security. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I was was saying the same thing. And I was like, oh, that's why I still got lots of people. What's interesting to me, Francis, is that I, I, we have two two divergent types of advocates on this call. We've got the individual advocates that are Rachel and me, and that we do individual work. And then there's you, who is this macro person who looks at the large picture and brings us a view from a helicopter, yeah. right? And I feel like what we've talked about today is walking that tightrope between understanding as an individual who we are, what is important to us, and how we can move within our communities, and then looking at the community and how we can collectively come together and address the issues of the individual. Mm. And I feel like that is, is your place, Francis, is that's where you're really bringing that to us. And uh, I've always respected that because my brain starts to go (laughs) when I start thinking (laughs) bigger than, oh my God, okay, I've got six people in my group that we're working with today. That's, That's about all I can handle. And we start talking about these larger issues and it feels very, very overwhelming to me, but I can manage it on an individual or group level. So I thank you for that so much. And I have to say that when I watched your films, I watched The Long Shadow and watched some of, <laughs> disclaimer, the yeah. our, your stories making you sick, which was the one that I was really most interested in because that's my field, right? Is um, right. psychology or social work. So um, it's hard. yeah, it's not easy. Some of the stuff in there. The, yeah. Right. I was watching those films and I'm like, God, I'm so excited to talk to you because you're saying you're putting out what I, I look at every day. Yeah. Yeah. On a, on a big scale, on a a big big scale. scale, And you're reaching so many people. I'm reaching the individual. You're reaching the macro level, the masses. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. It's my pleasure to have been here and and chatted with you, but I want to say one thing. I I think you are reaching uh, more than just the individuals. You're, you know, you've got this great (laughs) podcast, you're putting in the work and, and you're, you know, you're reaching people beyond your immediate environment. So uh, give yourself, pat yourself on the back. You're, you both are doing great work. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I, I, for, uh, I forget that we have the podcast. I'm just, I forget. Yeah. I forget we do it all the time. feels like just a yeah. conversation that I have on my phone. Exactly. It's like, Oh, we're talking. Okay, cool. Yeah. I always get so excited. And Gina's going to say, cause I say this every podcast and, but it's so true. And I, I, and I need to share my truth because like this whole podcast has taught me that's the most important thing. And, you know, I am, I am becoming a woman and moving out of my, out of my twenties and I'm still in them, but moving forward and I'm going to be like, you're not a woman until you're 20, (laughs) until you're 30. I I feel like, I feel (laughs) like I am 
I feel like you're in when you're in your twenties, you're in this like middle phase. You know, they say like teenagers are the middle phases. No, I think like your twenties are your like adult teenage phase. That's what I kind of feel like it is. It's my adult teenage phase. I'm responsible for things that I don't really want to be responsible for. And I'm not quite sure how to be responsible for them where I'm moving into, oh, I know how to be a little bit more responsible for all these responsibilities that I have. But what I say on that is I, I get to speak to women who are just like mind blowingly inspirational. And the, the biggest thing that I am taking away from you today, Francis, is something that you actually just said, and it's this boldly compassionate. And there's, mm-hmm. there's something about that, that piece, that boldly, that unafraid, that fearless, justice seeking compassion that is, is going to be something that I think about for a while. And and how do I continue to show up, not just behind social media or behind my walls compassionately? How do I step out of that? How do I step in front of myself and boldly show up from a place of love, connection, compassion, fearlessness in search for truth and justice? And I just, that's, that's going to be really key for me as I continue to maneuver in the world. And I just am really grateful and appreciative of your time and your vulnerability today and the authenticity that you brought to this conversation. Cause for me, it, it really hit a lot of key, key points for me. So I really just am so appreciative of you and your time with us today. Well, thank you for having me. And it sounds like c- congratulations are in order. Were you about to say you're going to be a mom? No, I not yet. Not yet. Uh, could you imagine? Uh, could you imagine if I said to my husband, hey, honey, listen to this podcast. I have some news to share with you. Um, we, we are on the trajectory of becoming parents in the near future. Definitely. I have so many four. I have like 25 four-legged animals. I, I'm okay right now with those. Yeah, I hear you. Well, you, any child and you have is going to be fortunate as well as um, Dina, you're three and um, keep up the amazing work. And I'm, I'm so honored and, and happy to have been on your show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Francis. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk again sometime. Absolutely. Super. Take care and stay well. All right. Thank you. You You too. Bye-bye. Rachel, this was a fascinating podcast. It was very different. And I feel like we took it to a different level today, talking about the individual versus the collective. And I'm so grateful to have had Francis on. And I'm really looking forward to what our next few guests and our next few podcasts and everything's going to bring. Absolutely. I think you hit it right on the head. I feel like we're on this really powerful subject on our podcast right now over the last few weeks of cultural awareness, societal awareness, collective compassion. And I'm just excited to continue to learn and grow and have these impactful conversations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And I will talk with you next week on our next show. Talk with you next week. Okay. Have a good one. Bye.